1: Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Good morning, Dr. Joy. Good morning, Dr. Amy. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. I love our conversations when we're talking about what we have learned. And I can't wait to share some ideas
0: with our guests. I like that reflective piece. So, Amy, what have you learned From 2020 and now 2021, going through this pandemic. So what have you learned in how you transform your personal life, if you could share a little bit, and education? I've learned that I actually
1: don't have very many boundaries when it comes to work. I'm sitting in my kitchen space and everything's spread out on my... Little table here. I, I don't have a lot of boundaries, but I also enjoy the flexibility. And I've learned that there's a lot that can be accomplished in a virtual space. There are ways to address certain problems and pose certain solutions without meetings. You can have asynchronous conversations. You Don't even have to use email. You can use a discussion board. That was a great thing for some of my committee work was creating a blackboard shell so that we could have discussion board and emails didn't get lost whenever we were looking at program reviews or course
0: approvals. Yeah, I'm learning to just be more outcome oriented and not so much about the structure, which is very difficult for me since you know that I love living according to charts. So it's hard for me sometimes, but I've learned that normal doesn't have to necessarily be normal and normal is not equal. So thinking more outcome-based as opposed to the structure in which that has to occur because how it needs to occur for you, your way of getting things done is very different than my way and having the flexibility that allows both of us to have the same outcome. I think technology offers a lot of flexibility. Absolutely, when it's working. Right, when
1: it's working. So we are going to talk to Dr. Richard Ferdig, who is the Summit Professor of Learning Technologies and Professor of Educational Technology at Kent State University, He works within the Research Center for Educational Technology and also the School of Teaching, Learning, and Curriculum Studies. He earned his Ph.D. in Educational Psychology from Michigan State University, and he has served as a researcher and instructor at MSU at the University of Florida. He's worked in Poland and Italy at Kent State University. His research teaching, and service focus on combining cutting edge technologies with current pedagogy to create innovative learning environments. Oh, I've got to hear more. His research interests include online education, educational games and simulations, the role of faith in technology, and what he labels a deeper psychology of technology. So welcome to our show, Dr. Ferdig.
2: Thanks so much, Amy. Thanks, Joy. Thanks for having me. I was really hoping you would attempt to uh, pronounce the name of the Polish place that I taught at because <laughs> there
0: is no way uh, yeah, we <laughs> had a conversation about that.
2: Uh, we just we would call it the VUSP or the WSP for short. That was about the only way that I could get away with telling people where I worked.
0: So there's a little teaser there, Dr. Amy. So he was going to get you on that, but Dr. Amy decided early on that "Hmm, I am not going to attempt that. Uh,
2: That's good. We don't
0: want to offend any of our friends out there from Poland or Italy.
2: That's awesome. Well, thanks again Uh, for having me. It's a joy to join you today.
0: So you sure have accomplished a lot by age 25, Dr. Furtick.
2: (laughs) Ah, that's funny. And uh, I've been blessed with a lot of experiences, but now apparently I've also been blessed with a friend like you who who grossly underestimates my age, but I appreciate that.
0: (laughs) Before you were on, Dr. Amy and I, we were talking about reflecting back, well, and still current because we're still in this pandemic about what did we learn? And from 2020 and now 2021, and what did we learn and maybe how we changed or grew in our personal lives? What did we learn in terms of education? So we were really talking about, for me, it was a healthy work-life balance, something that I have not paid attention to in my entire career, but it gave me the opportunity to pay attention. And also, Dr. Amy, she talked about education and how, I mean, technology and how technology has really transformed the game. So tell us about the book, what teacher educators should have learned in 2020. And when you wrote the book, did you actually think we would be in this pandemic this long?
2: Yeah, those are, boy, those are great questions. And and actually let me just preface it by saying, I'm so glad you talked about kind of being still in the midst of it, because I still think that there are changes that are happening to us every day, and including the life-work balance. I mean, I remember when the pandemic started and I, I felt like I had a, a little bit more space, especially in the online sphere, because people were still trying to figure out Teams or Zoom or whatever your conferencing platform was. And now it feels like people have gotten it, but yet it's like, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. meetings back to back to back to back to back because we've you know well hey if we're online we don't you don't need bathroom breaks or lunch breaks or you know, walking breaks so so I do think we need to continue to learn from that to answer your second question I think that I was hopeful that we'd be beyond it whether it be through a vaccine or through herd immunity I think, you know, we've come a long way. Uh, I think the interesting challenge now is people are kind of fed up with it. And, <laughs> and so we're making some interesting decisions about how we live and act and breathe and so forth, kind of based on on the science and kind of based on our frustration with it. So I, I don't know. I think people are still nervous about what's going to happen going into this fall and this winter. So praying for the best and we can start to see more light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Your book focuses on three different areas social emotional learning for teacher education online teaching and learning for teacher education and extended reality for teacher ed how did you identify the need for this book
2: yeah thank you for that just to take a step back when the pandemic first happened we have a really good relationship with our public health school and so we were doing some interesting work with public health and with ed tech as you probably all saw including teacher ed, got really involved with the pandemic through the creation of personal protective equipment, PPE through like 3D printers, education really stepped in to help. And and what I saw was I really saw this push towards medical journals really quickly disseminating information to try to help the medical community and schools and everyone else. And yet you'd look at education and people were like, well, let's wait and see what happens. And then let's be reflective a year or two from now about our practice and the challenge for that was that people needed help right now. And so during the pandemic in 2020, we had actually put out a call for papers asking people for best practices, had a two-week turnaround window, thought we would receive maybe five or 10 papers, and ended up with over 260 or 270 papers, people wanting to share best practices. So we were really encouraged by that. But what we started to hear, and we started to hear this from both educators, K-12 educators and teacher educators, is We just can't wait until this is over. We just can't wait until we can go back to quote unquote normal. What concerned us was the loss of all the valuable lessons that people were experiencing. So, for instance, we would begged people since the mid-90s, early 2000s to try K-12 online education, both at the K-12 level and also for teacher education in terms of preparing future teachers to teach in that. And people weren't really listening. Well, all of a sudden the pandemic hits and teacher educators start talking about the importance of online and blended instruction. So how could we capitalize on that so that if the pandemic ever did, quote unquote, go away, we wouldn't lose all the benefits. And so we we put out a call and said, hey, what are the lessons that you wish that either you learned or you wish others would have learned in teacher education? And those three areas you mentioned, the social, emotional, the online, and the extended reality, were three key ones that emerged. Although I will say there were were others that, and, and again, as we continue in this pandemic, I think there will continue to be others that emerge for kind of lessons that we don't want to lose.
0: When I read this book, which is amazing, by the way, it's an ebook, it's totally free, and you don't get good stuff like this for free. It almost reads to me like a public announcement. It's some really good practical stuff of what we have learned and what we need to do moving forward. I mean, this is really a public announcement to educators and administrators. So I really love what's in this reading. How do you think education might change as a result of the pandemic or how should it change as a result of all of what you've learned?
2: Yeah, that's a, those are great questions. And I, actually, let me step back just for a second because I really I appreciate your kind words about the the purpose of this book and the ebook. There was a lot of risks. I, they, they weren't really risks, but but let me say risks that we took in doing this because it went against everything that we do in education or or at least in teacher education. For instance. We don't do eBooks, right? Because how dare somebody actually produce something for free that gets wide dissemination. We don't tell other people, because even the title of the book, what teacher educators should have learned, how dare we come out and, and tell people what they should have learned. We don't do fast turnaround. Even this book had a relatively quick turnaround. I mean, there's all these things we don't do in, in kind of education for a quick dissemination of ideas. And I think this flew in the face of that. And so I think one of the answers to your question is how education might change is that we start to think differently about the response and the rapid response. And I understand this tension of peer review and wanting to make sure that we don't put ideas out there that find, you know we find out later they don't work or they're uh, counter supportive to both teachers or students or teacher educators. But I do think probably the number one outcome is we need to start thinking differently about rapid response to problems or potential solutions for the, the issues that we're dealing with. The second thing that, and again, I could probably, you know, I go on for hours. I'll just list a couple and, and encourage people to, to download and look at the free book, because again, so many good authors from across the world talking about so many important ideas. The second thing is this idea of equity and access, and people were talking about equity and access well before pandemic. But for the most part, a lot of it was ignored. And I think the pandemic put a spotlight on uh, digital divide issues and even put a a spotlight on the fact that there was a bunch of schools, both at the post-secondary and K-12 level that basically spent the pandemic time just doing remedial work versus some other schools that actually found innovative and new and exciting ways to teach and learn. And they ended up coming out of the pandemic or, or coming out of that first phase of the pandemic better off than they were before. So, you know, how do you deal with not just technology access issues, but the fact that there were some schools that basically did nothing for three months or or just did remedial work for three months versus schools that capitalized on this and and made significant changes. And And then the final thing is, again, when the pandemic first hit, people were talking about everything horrible that possibly happened. And then there are a few people that actually point out some good things. So for instance, you saw in Italy, the canals in in Venice that were actually clear after so many years of being polluted, you saw the pollution in the air decrease. And one of the good things that I think happened in education is people finally had to experiment with K-12 online and blended instruction and online instruction in post-secondary teacher education programs. My hope is that we, and that was the purpose of the book, is we don't lose that that we continue on beyond the pandemic, capitalize on those good ideas and good experiences.
0: So, you know, we are guilty of operating at the speed of an iceberg. And you guys operated in warp speed. You were literally operating at the same speed of this vaccine. As you said, that's not typical for things that we do in education and being able to make that kind of change. So I want to talk about how some of these changes impact equity issues, because when the pandemic hit that March, I have an eighth grade nephew. He's in the city of Chicago, and he spent that last three months of school on his cell phone. He went on Zoom. He had to get a, a smartphone to do this, something that was easily accessible to him while we worked on getting him all the equipment that he needed. But he was very quiet about it. He didn't complain. And we didn't know he was using his phone to attend class every day, to do his lessons, to take tests. He was searching for internet. He would go to a friend's house because he didn't have Wi-Fi in his home. And so it presented a lot of problems and it brought out a lot of equity or inequity issue in education. So how might these changes impact the equity issue that we've come to face? This has forced us to really face some equity issues.
2: Yeah, and breaks my heart. It, it, it does. Every time I hear stories, you know, I, I remember when the pandemic first hit and I was getting calls from parents and educators around the U.S., who were trying to understand how to respond. I had people come out to me and they go, oh, have you heard about this new thing called online learning? And I'm, you know, especially at the K-12 level. And I was like, oh, you mean the thing that's been around for 25 years? And people would then start to, to look at the research and the best practices and realize that there were examples they could follow. But those examples were precipitated on the fact that you would have access to technology, hardware, software. They were set among the idea that you would have teachers that had been prepared with professional development, how to teach in these environments. And the reality of it is is those things weren't true. And I wish I had an easy or a quick answer for your great question. I think, again, if I was to put a positive spin on it before the pandemic, people would talk about these issues, but they didn't really understand what that meant. In other words. If I had a school, let's just do it by school districts instead of by individuals. If I had a school district that didn't have access to technology, but another one did, and maybe there it was hard to point to whatever the metric was standardized test scores or student retention or graduation rates or whatever. But, but a lot, not a lot was blamed on the technology and technology access or the promise of technology for addressing those things. But when the pandemic hits and the main mode of delivery of instruction is technology, And, or we start to see some of these schools that had well-prepared teachers and they were doing significantly better than others and doing, doing even maybe better than they had been before because they were introducing this use of technology. We could then finally either, dare I say, blame or provide a good example of why the technology or why the technology prepared teacher was doing such a good job. So again, it's not a good answer to your question other than to say, first of all, it put a spotlight on the equity issues. And my hope is that if we can showcase enough of these stories, the example of your nephew, then maybe school districts and congressmen and and women and and politicians and school districts and boards of education will finally understand what the equity divide means. The other thing really quickly is we have a huge equity divide when it comes to teacher education and teachers in K-12 schools. And the reality of it is we've known forever that a highly qualified teacher has a significant impact on, again, graduation rates, retention, dropouts, grades, college enrollments, all those things. But yet it really put a spotlight on how few of our teachers really were prepared to be able to do that. And there were some districts that had not prepared their teachers beforehand, but were able to respond quickly to that to be able to help their teachers. So the question from an equity perspective for TE is, How well are colleges of education actually preparing their teachers for future and current teachers for responding to pandemics and or responding to technology-enhanced instruction? And the answer is there's a lot of them that got failing grades that just want to move on because they don't want to admit all the problems they had.
1: Well, if we have known that access issues exist, that there are gaps in school success, why does it take so long to get this information out there, to get new ideas out there? And I want to return to this idea of rapid publishing. What did you learn about rapid publishing? and tell us about the need for it?
2: Yeah, wow, that, that feels like the million dollar question, right? Because when the pandemic hit, I mean you have you you still have this today, right? You have two sides of the medical coin where people are pushing so fast and so hard for a vaccine or a booster or a pill or a treatment for people who have COVID. And yet at the same time, people are so leery of putting something out there that eventually hurts people, right? Where the solution is worse than the the initial problem. And I get that, I get that tension. I think that tension has handicapped education to the point that we're so nervous that we're gonna say something or implement something or test something that might not be the best practice that was ever done. And so we don't do anything, right? And again, I, I love the journals that we have in teacher ed and ed tech and in related areas, math ed, science ed, whatever. But a lot of the journals were reticent to put anything out there because they wanted to let us get through the pandemic, get three or four, year, maybe even a year or two out, look back, have all the data to make all the decisions, and then say something useful in case it ever happened again. Well, that's okay, but, but who are you helping or not helping in the meantime? There are teachers that, for instance, I was told that K-12 online ed was great for the higher grades, but during the pandemic, you could not do anything with pre-K, K-1 or 2,
0: right, right the early
2: elementary. But this book, when we put this out, there were so many amazing stories of things that happened at the kindergarten level. Now, can I tell you with any degree of certainty that their work was significantly better than what other people did? No, I can't say that. But what I can say is I had parents calling me crying because their five-year-old was expected to be in front of a Zoom camera seven hours a day. And if they weren't in front of the Zoom camera for seven hours a day, they got in trouble versus other teachers who understood blended instruction and actually did really innovative and exciting things with kindergarten, first, second graders. So I I just think there's this tension that we're not ready. We haven't had to, we weren't forced to deal with this before, and we should have been. Now the pandemic hits. Let's take that lesson and figure out that, look, we need to find a balance between pure peer review that looks at all the data and is able to make some sort of experimental decision or recommendation versus, wow, we need help right now to help us get through this. If I'm sick with COVID, yeah, it would be great in 10 years to look back at the data and figure out what happened. But it also would be nice to figure out if there are some things that I could try right now to help me out.
0: We are talking to Dr. Richard Perdick, from Kent State University. He is professor and editor-in-chief of the Journal of Technology and Teacher Education. And we're talking about really lessons learned from 2020 and what should we be doing. So you recently presented at the Inaugural Society for Information Technology and Teacher Education Interactive. You presented at that conference. Can you elaborate on the lessons that you shared at that conference. And I am particularly interested in two. One was the teacher education must prepare current and future teachers for online experiences and teacher educators must return to instructional design groups. So can you elaborate on these lessons that you shared at that conference?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So- So the interactive site conference was an opportunity to deliver ideas, but this idea is given a keynote is how do you make these interactive, right? So instead of it just, you know, a lecture or whatever, how do you, how do you provide a way for the audience to get involved? And so I went into this with this idea of, with both book, with the initial book behind us and this idea of of teacher educator lessons, I had some ideas But I started out and I said, hey, let's let's find a way We use Padlet. And I said, "Okay, take some time and and share some lessons that you wish educators would have learned, teacher educators would have learned from. And, And interestingly, and I think confirming in a positive way, many of the ideas that were shared were the ideas that I was presenting on that I had seen. For instance, teacher educators need to get ideas out faster. And there was such a revaluing of teachers. In other words, teachers get blamed a lot for problems in education and society, but all of a sudden parents saw how sausage was made and they really started appreciating teachers for all the struggles that their kids had. (laughs) So there was those those kinds of lessons that were important. The two that you mentioned, which I think are great, are K-12 online and blended instruction has been around since the mid-90s. And unfortunately, you know, it's 2021, you would expect to go around to every college of teacher education and see practica and internship experiences in K-12 online and blended schools. But the reality of it is most teacher education programs do not have that. Matter of fact, because the education requirements, many schools teach students what they get, maybe one tech class. And the idea is that their other teacher prep courses are supposed to integrate technology into the, the content areas. Well, the problem is, is, okay, if some of these students go out and are expected to then teach or promote or understand how to do online and blended instruction, how could they do that if they've never been taught it or if they've never had a chance to experience it? And so I would love, others would love, and there are some good examples out there. There There's a good example from Iowa. There's a good example from Florida where they've actually given their teachers experiences, internships, practicum experiences in K-12 online schools to show them what it's like. So I think that's a critical point. Matter of fact, we always point to Singapore. They used to do it once a month. They may do it more or less because of the pandemic, but one day a month where they would actually force all of their classes to be online just in preparation for such a pandemic and to recognize the value. It's not just a fail-safe backup. It's also there's value in blended and online instruction. And then the second thing really quickly was the instructional design aspect of it. So many teachers when they went or attempted to go to online in the pandemic everything they knew about teaching seemed to go out the window. And so they would say to us, they would say, I don't know how to teach online. And we would say, okay, we understand that there are nuances for teaching online, but the reality is, is you're still trying to get your content delivered. So what is it that you're trying to get across? What is it you're trying to teach? And maybe lesson plans (laughs) and the creation of lesson plans are reserved for either undergraduate students or, or first year teachers Most people then scrap the ideas of lesson plans, but getting teachers back to this idea of using good quality instructional design to set up the content they want delivered, then we could come back in and say, oh, okay, so you want to communicate about these ideas. Great. Well, then let's let's talk about what technology tools are available to do that. That prevented teachers from getting caught up in the muck of all the varying technologies that were out there and helped them return to the core of what they were trying to get across.
0: Yeah. I hope teachers and administrators are listening to you. My daughter, she comes from a school where they have e-learning for the last five years. They've had e-learning once a month. They were able to pivot very quickly because they already had one-to-one. All the students had their own Chromebooks. This was just out of practice in case of bad weather. You know, if it's too foggy here or because of snow days, they didn't want to stop teaching. So they were already accustomed to having that technology at home. It made for an easy transition. And one of my daughters, she teaches third grade and she would do something every week that was amazing. She would paint her face to go with the story that she was teaching. She would go to their homes and the kids, it was funny that third graders didn't catch on to this. She would make gift bags for all of her children and it would be the students of the week. And she would pick like three students each week and she would drive around and they're watching her drive around and they're all excited of whose house is she going to come to? And so they would do the segment after school and she would be driving around and then they would see their neighborhood and then it gets closer to their house and they're jumping up and down like maybe she's coming to my house but they never caught on to the fact that not one student ever got something twice, that she was eventually getting to every student.
2: <laughs> That's absolutely amazing. And, and here's the thing. So when we go through the pandemic, one of the things, again, social emotional learning, student mental health, teacher mental health has, has always been important. I don't think we realized how important it was till the pandemic. Should we do research? Should we do experimental research? Should we do future data analysis? Absolutely. But there are teachers out there that, They know students need help. They know that sometimes their face in the morning, especially during spring 2020, during the online, was the only consistent thing that those kids saw. Parents were losing jobs. Parents were at home. Parents were, there were financial issues. I mean, there was all these things going on. And sometimes that teacher face was the only consistent thing. The example you just said about your daughter and the things she she did, there are teachers out there that are going, I need to respond to my students' mental health. What can I do? Now, can I say for certain that your daughter's actions created a 0.3 effect size in learning measures? No, right? But can I say with some degree of certainty that your daughter made a positive impact on the lives of her kids during a difficult time? You bet. And those are the kinds of things that we need to focus on more than just, I need to look back in five years on what best practice goes into a clearinghouse that has the gold standard of experimental research.
1: So Joy mentioned her daughter, who is a practicing teacher. She's been in the classroom for quite a while. Let's bring this back to teacher education. How does what you've learned and what we've seen inform how we move teacher education in the right direction? How do we start this conversation? And maybe even what are the broader issues that will, well, hopefully change what teacher education looks like?
2: I wish I had a perfect and succinct answer to your question, because I feel like that's the million dollar question. And this book was an attempt to do this, was an attempt to say, let's take a snapshot of where we're at. Let's talk about the problems. Let's talk about the opportunities. And then let's make this frequent. We shouldn't need a pandemic to self-reflect and evaluate where we've been at, where we're missing, what things we're doing well, things we need to grow. And my biggest concern that I've heard over the last, well, the last two years, at least as it comes to education, is normal. We just want to get back to normal. And what that means to me is all the lessons that we've learned, all the problems that were identified, equity and access and lack of training with online instruction and lack of practical experiences, all the good things we learn, Joy's daughter delivering bags, teachers painting faces or putting stickers on their faces, students mental health decreasing, but at the same time being supported by educators. We need to capture those things and we need to find a way to put those into best practices. And again, I wish I had an easy answer of if we did X, Y, Z, it would be great. What we've been trying to do in, in our work with ACE in this book, in this open access book, is to say, let's make this an annual event. And then with the journal, I recently stepped down at J Tate, Richard Hartshorn's the new editor, but in my collaboration with him, we've made sure that in our journals, you have to have a very strong implication section. It's not just about the research. What can you do for practice right now? And I think the onus is on teacher educators and colleges of education to say, are we responding? What kind of grade would we have given ourselves to how well prepared our teacher educators were, our teachers were? to handle the kinds of needs that students uh, had during the pandemic. I can guarantee you right now hospitals, I, we work with a bunch of hospitals and medical clinics, they are right now grading themselves and are being graded on how well they respond to the pandemic. What about colleges of education? What about teacher education? How well did we respond? And how well were we prepared for the future if something like this happens again? And my guess is if we were honest, we'd give ourselves a failing grade. Okay, no problem. This was something we had never experienced before. Okay, or in our lifetimes, fine. What are we doing moving forward so that we can address this better?
0: So that's a good question. Great companies, they're very customer client oriented. Their job is to please the client, to give you what you want. That's what makes them great. It's a business. It's good business. But education is a business too, right? So when do we get to the point where learning starts to drive teaching?
2: Yeah, and, and I'll probably at some point get hate mail for saying this, but education, I say this all the time, education is a business. And if we would just only accept it, that it's a business, we, we would probably run a better and tighter organized ship. Because the reality of it is, is people hear that and they think about a business and they think about commercial gain and they think that it's all about money and making money. And that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that we do have clients and we do have to understand and help be held accountable for the work that we're doing. And again, people hear that and they think that I'm talking about standardized tests. And no, I'm I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that there were a lot of parents during the pandemic that saw how the sausage was made and they, okay, so I'm a parent. And I get a report card home, and then I get maybe once a quarter, twice a quarter, something to hang on my fridge that my child did. But that's about all I understand, unless I you know, maybe a parent-teacher conference thrown in there. Well, online learning happens, and there were stories, horror stories sometimes, of parents like sitting in their kids' Zoom classrooms. And so even if it wasn't that bad, they saw every single day what their kid was going through, and they had to help in a bunch of just situations. Now, for high quality schools or schools with high quali- highly qualified teachers, that was actually a, a positive thing. And parents said, wow, I could never do what this teacher is doing. We need to pay these teachers a billion dollars. With schools that were struggling with equity or access or didn't have teachers that were qualified to teach, parents were ready and in some cases pulled their kids out of school. They put their kids into private education. They put their kids. We heard all about pods that they were parents were joined together and hiring private tutors. That's a scary idea. Why were they doing that? And educators, I love them. A lot of them will come back if they're honest with themselves. They'll say, wow, we need to address this. There's a lot that will say, well, that's just horrible. That's that they shouldn't do that. Everyone should trust in public ed and we should just accept it as it is. No, we shouldn't. We have to be thoughtful about What did our kids get during a time when they needed us the most? And the reality of is, is there were places that did phenomenal. There were places that really struggled. And am I going to sit here and blame the teachers? No. Our teachers deserve an unbelievable credit for what they went through during the pandemic. But just because teachers and districts and administrators deserve credit for how well they held it together, it doesn't mean we can't grow. And I think if we started to realize that we have clients that we owe things to, including getting a high quality education, I think we would be better off. I think we'd be more reflective and and have a better self-assessment for how we can grow in the future. Do I think it's going to happen? Honestly, I tend to view myself as as an optimist and I want the best, but having watched the history of education, I'm nervous that it's not going to happen. Or let me even say something scarier. The highly qualified schools, the schools with highly qualified teachers are going to continue to turn out better and better students, more more and more prepared students. They're going to turn out students that are are on the cutting edge of their content areas and prepared to be successful. And the schools that fail to be reflective, the colleges of education that fail to prepare highly qualified teachers are going to continue to go in the opposite direction. And this divide And the the problem, and I'm sorry for rambling. let me just say one more thing. The problem with COVID is the only headlines that people wanted to publish in the media was how horrible education was. And the problem is that's not true. There were a lot of bad things in education. There were a lot of great things in education that nobody wanted to talk about. And what's going to end up happening is this divide. COVID is going to increase this divide in our country and in our world. And left unattended, we're going to see serious problems in 5, 10, 15 years.
1: So as people are really taking account and thinking about the changes that they've experienced and what we've all learned, how might you suggest that our listeners stop and take a snapshot? How do they do that?
2: So, let me let me try to talk to a couple different audiences if I can. I think with colleges of education and specifically teacher educators, I think they need to step back and say if we knew in 2019 what was going to happen in 2020, would we have done anything different? And or if we knew that there was going to be pandemic Y, you know, or Z or whatever in 2023, would we do anything different right now? And my guess for most of them, they would say yes, and they would move forward and make some significant changes. I would also get them to say, we know there's a bunch of bad things that happen, but what were some of the good things that happened and how could we capitalize on that? What I would encourage most of them is that people had to think differently about online field experiences. Pilots use simulators. Why do pilots use simulators? They have real airplanes. Why do doctors use simulated patients? They have real patients. Well, because there's safety issues and there's training issues. And so some of the online experiences, some of the simulated experiences, some of the innovative technology that delivered some of these experiences, let's not forget that just because prayerfully the pandemic goes away. Let's find a way to capitalize on that. So that would be my teacher educators. For for teachers and administrators, I would ask similar questions. I would say, okay, had we been able or needed to do this over, what would we do? But I would also ask interesting questions about equity and access. If your school had to go back online tomorrow, would you be assured that every single student had access to the delivery mechanisms that you are trying for? What I mean by that is a lot of times schools and districts and teachers have to deliver content to their lowest common denominator. In other words, if there are kids out there that only have access to a cell phone and that cell phone is not an updated one, but a relatively older one you have a hard time delivering, let's just say virtual reality to your kids to put them on Mars or, or Saturn or whatever, because you're always kind of going to that lowest common denominator. So the question is, is are you assured that every, every student has technology that or access to technology to be able to deliver the kind of content you want to deliver? And then are you assured that every teacher can be successful in a blended or online medium? And then f- the final thing would be for parents, would be to say, how can you hold your schools or your teachers accountable so that you can trust and regain trust that if something happened with the pandemic or if we had another emergency or even if we didn't and things went back to normal, we don't go back to normal.
0: You know, one of the things that we did at Governor State University, which I'm really proud of, is that right away we provided every student that did not have a computer with a computer. So we made that priority so that they had access. And secondly, with our teacher candidates, we made sure they had a second computer. We gave the argument that it's so much easier to teach effectively if you have a second monitor, at least a second monitor, if not a second computer. That was done. I'm very proud that the university was able to pivot in some ways very quickly and provide professional development on a weekly basis. Because like you said, we had faculty that were very weak in using technology to teach. And so providing that ongoing professional development and help to be able to assist them was really, really, really key. I know Dr. Amy has another question for you, but I do have a final question for you. And that is, how are you better as a result of this pandemic?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Let me comment really quickly. I am proud with you. I'm, I'm not affiliated with you, but I am proud with you of the work that you were able to do because I think getting access to technology and support is so important for teacher educators. So good on you all. I will say at Kent State, we did something similar where our tech department created a website called I Need Tech which basically allowed either a faculty member to request tech for themselves, or if they knew they had access to a student who didn't have technology, they could get mobile hotspots, they could get technology, laptops, whatever. So I I think you're right. That's right on. And my question for K-12 districts would be, how can you do the same thing? People say, oh, well, how are you expecting me to know that? And I say something simple like beginning of the year, you typically have intake forms and parents have to fill out varying information it's really not that hard to add a question or two to say something simple like, does your student have access to internet at home? Or does your student have access to um, you know, a laptop or desktop at home? I mean, one or two simple questions such that if a pandemic did happen, immediately they would know who they needed to support and how. So uh, good on you. and then And then again, an encouragement, a practical encouragement for administrators and districts to be able to ask important questions so they have a feel for what their students have access to. And then even for administrators to to get a sense from their teachers, an honest sense from their teachers about how well prepared they are to be deli- delivering content and innovative means. As far as me and better off, you know, I think with everybody on a very personal level, I mean, we sometimes it takes hard times to make us recognize how well off we are. And, and by well off, I mean, even having people around that we can say, I love you too, because who knows tomorrow, you know, whether they're, you know, something happens because of the pandemic. I think recognizing like you, I, I, I'm not as good <laughs> as you at recognizing that I need to say no to some things and start taking care of myself better, but I think recognizing that we need to care about each other more and care about ourselves more and that mental health is is so much more important. And I just think being able to recognize the fact that the thing that we all go through as academics, where we come up with a study and present the study and get IRB approval and collect data and analyze and publish, and then three years later, we, we have something to show for it. just think we need to get better at publishing to a practical audience more quickly so that we can help impact change because change does need to happen and, and slow moving iceberg that you talked about.
1: You are speaking directly to why Dr. Joy and I decided to have a podcast. We had hallway conversations solving the world's problems and the pandemic forced us to be at home and not have those hallway conversations anymore but we still wanted to solve those problems. But also we always wrestle with that peer-reviewed piece, that tenure track accountability. Where does this land us? You know, where does a podcast fit in the big scheme of things when we're talking about research and service? All I know is that I've really enjoyed all the conversations that she and I have had and all the guests that we've had on the podcast
0: to share information like you have today. Dr. Rick, you are amazing. Can't thank you enough for being here with us today.
2: Well, thank you for your kind words. And Amy, just to highlight on that really quickly, I thank both of you because it's people like you that are making that difference on a daily basis. I mean, it's in academia we are rewarded for the grants and for the published articles and and the peer-reviewed journals, and I get that. And my guess—I I don't know this, but my guess is—is is somewhere along the, ten, the promotion papers or the or the merit papers or whatever—there's not a list of did you do a podcast. <laughs> And, but the problem is, is that you should. I mean, the, the work that you're doing of spreading the word is so important. And so thank you, both of you, for having me today. But more importantly, thank you for the work that you're doing trying to get the word out there. And I hope that listeners really start to value and consider, especially if they do their own publishing, open access, because we really do need to change practice. And And I'm not saying practice can't change from peer-reviewed articles that take a couple of years to get out, but we need to respond more quickly. So thank you again, both of you. and and I really appreciate your work.
0: And we will make the book available to all of our listeners. So thank you for that.
2: Thank you all. Have a blessed day.
1: Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaklia and Dr. Joy Patterson.
0: We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching.
1: We welcome your comments and feedback.
0: What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you, our listeners. Did theory or practice win the match?
1: I think it was theory probably this time.
0: Uh, Practice.
1: Until next time, we're Dr. Amy. And Dr. Joy.